0: Hello and welcome to the Capis Chat. I'm sitting here with my colleague and friend, uh, Fredrik weiser the founder of our company. And here in
1: front of me, we have Daniel Linden. That's um, me. And we met when you, oh yeah, first actually, I think we met at a nightclub in Gothenburg uh, more than 20 years ago. Let's forget Uh, that. Let's forget that. (laughs) But uh, then we ran into each other at uh, the university over here in Gothenburg.
0: I held a a class, I think, in economics or something. Uh, I I don't remember. I remember it it very well. And uh, since then, we've been hanging out for uh, 20 years and then some. We will be spending quite a lot of time discussing various topics regarding
1: CapEx decisions, asset decisions, company decisions, but very much from a a large decision point of view larger capexes smaller capexes acquisitions mergers uh what have you closures of sites um, and so on and how how companies should look at that while we go through uh, all these topics we'll be sharing our experience uh, our opinions we have lots of opinions uh, on this we have been working with uh, the capex topic for more than 25 years. And we have been thrown into all kinds of situations when it comes to the struggle that companies have with making the right decision. Um, We've been able to follow up on hundreds of situations. Uh, We have uh, had I mean, how many mills have we had in our product? So, with just the last fifteen years, I believe it's six,
0: seven hundred. Yeah, six, seven hundred mills, mainly within the capital-intensive industry, yeah. such as pulp, paper, steel, chemicals, nuclear, etc., yeah. um, etc. Et mining, mining. Yeah.
1: Obviously, we started out working mainly in Europe, but we we quickly, uh, already in 2006, we had our first product in uh, North America, uh, Australia. 2006. And it continued heavily a couple of years later in the U.S. Over the last more than 10 years, we spent more than
0: half our time in the Americas. Yes, North and South. I usually say it's only one continent that we've not been working in. It's Antarctica. I would like to talk a little bit about return on capital employed. Every time we talk to someone at a company about return return on capital employed and we explain why it doesn't work to use it, they totally agree they totally understand mm-hmm. but then when you go to the top and what's communicated it's still communicated and it's still asked for by analysts for example and the board and the board what can we do i mean we've tried a lot right you and i we've tried a lot to make companies lessen the focus on return on capital employed but what can we do to help yeah, them we work do like crazy on that i mean it's uh, i mean return on capital employed
1: profit Return on operating capital, I mean, that doesn't matter. What, EVA. What EVA, you know, it's a, it's a plague. It uh, really ruins a company's view on what's good and bad, what's competitive or not, what you should be doing to a certain business or a certain location, certain plant. It gets totally distorted. And yeah. companies keep using this. It, it, it is incredible. It's, I,
0: um, I think it could have something to do with that there is a misunderstanding of what to use. We have the term profitability, right? It could mean more, mean more or less anything, right? It could mean an EBTA margin for someone, for someone else. It could mean return on capital employed. For a third, it could be EVA or, or something else. But I think there is a misunderstanding of, okay, what are you supposed to do with it? Yeah. yeah. Right? Okay. What are you supposed to do with something that has a high profitability? Yeah. For me, profitability should equal competitiveness and value creation. It's not necessarily exactly the same thing. But they are close, I would say competitiveness and value creation are close to each other and I have the understanding that some companies instead try to use profitability as some kind of measurement of yeah I, I mean when they use return on capital employed honestly I don't even know
1: yeah. no I mean there are some companies that we that we have yeah. met with that that actually they don't look at it uh, and it's so much better if if the book based type of return is the only profitability measure that you can internally talk about then it's so much better not to talk about it at all
0: then just go on EBTA margin more oh, yeah. or less.
1: EBITDA margin yeah. look at cash flow and so on it's that's not actually enough but it's so much better than trying to bring in that those distorted measures return on the capital and it's or not EVA. too bad if you have
0: similar businesses right to, to look at EBITDA margin
1: no it's not too bad but hmm. but they unfortunately companies as you say, it's, it's not too bad if you have similar businesses, but that is not very common. I mean, you, for instance, might have mills that are not integrated, like steel mini mills.
0: Exactly my thought.
1: Uh, or uh, recycled container board mills in, in, in packaging. And you compare those with integrated steel mills or integrated craft and Packaging mills, you know, and you try to say, well, that one has twenty five percent, and that one has thirty percent, and actually, and that that means that that one is better than that one, and you, you can't talk about it like that. No. So there, that is where EBITDA margins, or or and that's go, where they wrote Return on capital
0: employed tries to make a difference, right? But. Fails miserably. Completely. completely. Oh, completely. Fails mystery.
1: Yeah, and they fail a lot more than the EBITDA margin ever does in that example.
0: Still, I would say you cannot compare an unintegrated mill with an integrated mill with the EBTM audience, even. That wouldn't work either. No, you would. No, 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 no it can. But, no. but
1: the error is, is less in the EBITDA yeah. margin than it can ever become or, yeah. you know, in the in return on capital order or something similar. In, also, we, we meet companies that have um, converting plants uh, in, in packaging. And they look at those and say, "Oh, they have twelve percent margin." And they look at their system of pulp mills or, or packaging mills and say, "Oh, they have eighteen percent." So the mills are doing so much <laughs> yeah. better, and they can't be compared because to to make sense at all, an integrated packaging mill or a, or pulp mill. They need to have like 35 40 percent in every time origin to to return on net present value of zero at the end. While a packaging plant could be good with fifteen yeah. percent, and yeah. They, they and they they don't look at it at, in that way. When companies today make their capex decisions, they are being made individually, often in isolation from each other. Of course, companies they try to put together the budgets and so on, so they are sort of as a package and everything. But they are being made. A, On their individual basis, based on their CapEx and so on. Based on needs. Based on needs very often and onto that you add the opportunities. So you have a bunch of tactical decisions over a year, over three years, over six years, over 20 years. And suddenly those have created the company. It's not that you had an overall CapEx strategy from the very beginning that said, we are taking our company over there. And here are all the decisions that will create that company and it's that company that will provide our investors with the best competitiveness, best cash flow. Yeah. So, that is not how it's done. It's on the other way around.
0: So the needs come before the strategy. The, oh, oh, hence clean. our name of our white paper, right? Yeah, the, the tail wags the dog.
1: Yeah. That is where that name came from.
0: Exactly. And I think that it boils down to one thing. And it is that we learn, at least I learned when I went to university, that net present values are additive. And therefore, you can evaluate decisions one by one if you use the present values and then you can add them. But does that work? Of course not. I mean, we see all
1: the time. All the time could be interpreted as sometimes, but we mean all the time. All the time. We see that if you add the products from a mill, those net present values are far above that the value of the mill could ever be. And still, they are correctly calculated. And that is so counterintuitive to people.
0: And it is because, and this is easily proven, we do that all over again. It is that the net present value of an individual decision Or even the net present value of many decisions in a mill added together has absolutely nothing to do with the value of that business exactly but still and this is so
1: so critical now for companies to understand this when i talk about what we talk about now i often hear companies say no no we we don't have an issue with that that's not how we do but yes you do okay
0: because we see it over oh oh,
1: yeah we see we see it in every company where we have been that companies are being run and defined by the decisions that are made by on a tactical level companies do not create an overall capex strategy which is the combination of decisions that will create the best company going forward and then make the decisions as a
0: consequence of that strategy. And you may think that you do, but you don't. We're not saying, right, that companies should not evaluate their decisions one by one also. We're not saying that you don't need a capital budgeting process, etc. We're just saying that first you need a CapEx strategy, an asset strategy, and that asset strategy provides a set of rules, a set of restrictions for the capital budgeting and for the CapEx process. And That means, and again I think you talked about that in another pod, that we don't treat each capex the same way. You don't treat each mill the same way. Certain mills that you know strongly believe that it will be around for another decade or two, you do big investments. You go for the long paybacks. You look for the big improvements, while if you have a mill, that you will not continue to invest in, that you will decide already now that you will take down in over the next couple of years for the benefit for another mill. Does it matter what the payback is? You don't do any more capexes unless it's there to protect the business before you move it to the other mill. Exactly. And it's also if you of course say that you have a mill and
1: you, you have three machines there now and you think that five years from now, we're going to replace it with a new machine, same capacity, same situation then, that why would you ever invest in those? Even if the payback is one year, you'd rather sp- spend that capital somewhere else. Yes,
0: yes. And uh, we talked about red and green flags a couple of years before the perfect closure timing. Very often, there are a lot of green flags all in over the, place. the traditional way of seeing it. You usually have a high return on capital employed. You have big CapEx needs. You have great net present values and return on investments. and we see huge amounts of money going in to trying to save mills three, four, five, six, seven years before they are closed. That's when the big money goes into that's that. When mill. the big money, and it's so sad. Not only because they put in the money that they don't get back. I think that is sad, but I don't think that's the saddest part of the story. I think the saddest part of the story is that that money did not go into the mills or plants. That continue to exist.
1: I mean there are all several issues with with how companies choose to uh, deal with their capital allocation today. What they have to realize is that if, if they get get a capital budget with smaller companies maybe 100 projects and larger ones with Two thousand products and more is that they they might average uh, like a three-year payback or something weighted average for three-year payback and they might think no no let, let's make this even better can't we shorten the payback and let's now assume that that is actually going to happen that they 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 get the th- three-year payback from the ba- budget that is actually realized and if they find even so-called better products and the payback is down to, like, let's say, two and a half years. And that's actually also going to be realized if they were to uh, implement those decisions. They are, with all certainty, actually going to decrease the cash flow from the company and not increase it. The shorter the payback is, the lower will the cash flow be. Going back to what you said about companies have to realize the destruction part and be able to manage that. It's not only that they they don't see that and they don't see that they need to exit some locations. What they see instead is that in their way to uh, allocate capital in the process that they have, when they look at individual decisions and so on, the locations, the mills, the plants, whether best paybacks are going to be the locations that are not competitive. And the reason is so simple. Yeah. And it's all just simple math. And that is because if you have state-of-the-art of a mill or or a piece of equipment that you're looking at replacing that is up here, and you have a you have a good mill that is rather good, that is here. And you say, Let's close that gap. And you say, Okay, let's spend 10 million dollars to close it, you can improve from here to here might be like a six, seven year payback if it even has a payback but then you look at these older mills the ones that are not competitive at all that might have another you know couple of years to to live or so if you really were to look at it they are down here and when you look at a piece of equipment uh, and you're looking at replacing that you're going to say we're we're going to improve it from here to here you close a gap that is enormous and that that is what gives you that two-year payback and you're gonna look at that in your capital budget and say, it all makes sense, let's do this. So Daniel, now we often, uh, we meet companies that are in tough situations. Uh, prices going up and down all the time and suddenly they end up in higher costs and poorer pricing and volumes are down for instance and they come to the conclusion we have to save money, we have to shrink the the CapEx budget. Yeah. So it goes from a billion dollars down to 800 or something like that.
0: And not only that, we sometimes hear or especially we read about company CEOs that goes out and brags a little bit about we are cutting our capex budget because we are now tougher on our return on investment requirements yeah i know and we can spend an hour just
1: talking about this but let's just say the following if you if you have a capex budget the budget might be a billion dollars and you say that the average payback of that is like three years then you run into tougher times you know you have less money in the company and you shrink the budget Something else also becomes more important from a cash flow to point of get view. get the money back earlier. Exactly. It's the liquidity aspect of cash flow. So when you talk about net present values and paybacks and so on, you talk about the valuation aspect of, of cash flow. But when you talk about liquidity, that's something completely different. But that does become more important when you run into tougher times uh, from a business point of view. So you go from a budget of a billion dollars with an average, weighted average payback of, let's say, three years, to maybe a budget of 800. And you focus on f- faster paybacks because you want that liquidity aspect.
0: Faster com- payback, higher yeah. return on investment, higher or- IRRs.
1: Exactly. So your budget goes from here to here and your paybacks go from maybe, let's say, three years to two and a half. Yes. And you think, wow, we may actually accomplish the same results now with a smaller budget. But what happens actually when you do that? The money goes to the poorer mills. Exactly. Because because where
0: do you find the quick paybacks?
1: You find the faster paybacks where you have the in each isolated project the best improvements and you only find the best improvements where you have a poor starting point
0: and actually it's normally not even an improvement usually you find the highest NPVs the shortest paybacks the highest internal rate of returns where you save money that is you have an environmental decision, for example, it's more or less a no-brainer, you do it or you have to reduce production with 20%. Exactly. You look at the IRR of that, the IRR is through the roof. But what is the IRR of a new machine, for
1: example? The following, it's so counterintuitive what I'm going to say now. It's not that we have seen this in a few examples. We see this all the time. That is, if you have a budget, you shrink the budget and you go from, let's say, three years to two and a half years payback, your company's cash flow does not go up, it goes down. You, the
0: long-term due to cash flow the, goes Yeah, down.
1: exactly. Yeah. What happens after uh, you a know, couple of years out, your cash flow will not improve due to this, it goes down. And that is further being explained in that text that we have here, The Tail Wags the Dog. In the capital budgeting process, in the in the decision-making, all around the decisions that we're all talking about here, CapEx decisions, asset decisions. A decision has like a two-year payback. The solution that they're talking about when they talk about fixing the issue, it's a proven concept, proven technology. Uh, it all makes sense. The situation is well known. The mill has a, let's say, 15% return on capital employed. all those flags are green. And, and that's and when we say? All the flags are gr- red. You know, because if you have a mill where the issues are obvious whether solution is state-of-the-art equipment you have a two-year payback and it has a book return of uh, let's say again 15 percent. then you have a mill that might be shut down three years but, from now no matter what you do
0: this brings us to talking a little bit about what can be done and I think that one of the first things that needs to be done for any company, and this also, by the way, goes for when we'll talk about merging and acquisitions later, is that the company needs to understand the full investment need going forward to keep their ability to produce what they are now producing and to support the customers that they are now supporting. And it's usually bigger than what companies think and i'm not talking about over the next 1 or 2 or 3 years now remember we're talking steel pulp paper uh, nuclear etc we're talking about over the next 10 15 20 years how much capex is actually needed and uh, i i mentioned merging and acquisitions we've been working t- with a lot of companies right right after an acquisition
1: that is often when we come in it's very often to when we to come answer in. the cash question okay so we acquired this what are we going to do now
0: yeah and I think that one of the things we usually find that comes to us as a surprise is, wow. Okay, we bought an EBTA, but we also bought an investment need. And how big a is CapEx that? A CapEx debt. A CapEx debt. And how big is that one? We've also been in projects where we, how should we put it? Been a little bit too late that it is when they've done an acquisition and they misunderstood the CapEx need. And now they are in Chapter 11 or just yeah, out only, of Chapter 11. yeah. yeah.
1: A part of the explanation is that, I mean, I remember so well when I started working, you know, now it's many years ago, when I looked at CapEx requests from Mills, I, I did an enormous study in a company once, and I looked through lot, so many other CapEx requests. The net present value that they, you know, probably correctly calculated, it was explained as something that would be added to the company. Yeah. That, okay, the company's worth this. And if we now replace this asset, we calculate the net present value of 25 million dollars or something. It's it's going to be added like that. So companies have an idea of capexes, the net present values they camp, they they, cap, they they will carry themselves. Yeah. So if as long as you you acquire a company, of course we have to spend money. Of course we have to spend capital into these mills that we have acquired. But they will carry themselves because they have a net
0: present value. I think we're saying exactly the same thing from two different angles. And what they then don't quite capture is the full CapEx need just to maintain the CapEx margin. Exactly. To, to maintain the EBTA margin. Exactly. And not even that because they will not maintain the EBTA margin with that same footprint anyway.
1: No. If you look at companies in the pulp and paper industry and you look at how much capital they spend today, I would say, with a few exceptions over time, ninety percent of the capital that they spend is what they have to spend just to stay where they
0: are. Yeah. But would you say it's any difference to power production, steel, probably chemicals? Not, probably not. From so what I've seen so no, far, I cannot see any difference. No,
1: exactly, it's the same. And so the idea that capital products will carry themselves is simply not true. No. They are they are simply there to, at best.
0: Keep what you have. This brings us to the question of EBTA multiples. EBTA multiples is a little bit like we're talking about row C, right? It's a, I'm going to use the word, it's a plague in the industry. The way EBTA multiples are used to motivate the value of industrial companies just does not work. The span that is allowed for transactions is too limited. This indicator, this metric, totally disregards the CapEx need. We have seen too often transactions being made, being justified with an EBTA multiple, being justified with adding EBTA to a company that has been valued with a certain multiple. when they've used something like six, seven as an EBTA multiple. But the value they acquired cannot motivate more than one, two yeah. in multiple, multiples. Uh, and that's not unusual. I,
1: I remember clearly a case where the multiple that could be motivated uh, when you really looked at the numbers was 1.4, yes. which is incredible. And I think that possibly it is so that the average multiple in an industry can be like seven. But as you said, the span goes from then from one to 15 maybe. Yes, and And to even try to gravitate into seven, both for the seller and the buyer, will basically never be correct. Because I don't even think that there's like
0: a normal distribution around seven. I think it's all over the place. It's all over the place. But what is so interesting, and we have a number of customers doing that, the companies, the CEOs and CFOs of this world that understands that metric and the dangers of it can make a killing. They
1: can. It's like an arbitrage. They can yes. look for the incorrect valuations. Because it goes both ways. It goes both it ways. It goes both ways. You can sell poor assets yeah. that deserve a multiple of 1.5 to yeah. somebody thinking that 7 would be okay. Yeah. And you can acquire companies or mills uh, using 7 as l- sort of the, the, the key
0: multiple uh, when it's actually maybe worth 14. Yes. And it all comes back to one thing, understanding the assets and the future CapEx needs. Yes. EBTA multiples is a little bit of an hazard. I think we, we agree on that. And when talking to our customers, I think that they usually also quickly see the dangers of using EBTA multiples. But there is another finer point, I believe, into becoming a successful MA player. And that is to before you get into an M&A situation and especially before you've done the acquisition to, in quite some detail, understand what will happen to the new total system. If you have, let's say, 10 sites, you bring on another three sites, the new optimum will likely not be 13 sites running the same way. Most likely, it will be something else and not unusually. It's something less than the 13 sites. It's not enough to understand the value of what you're buying. It's not un- enough to understand the value of what many people call the synergies. You need to run many, many different new full-scale business alternatives. Or What are you going to do with your footprint? What machines will continue to run? What machines will go down earlier now because you have a, a new mills? And not unusually. You will close machines that you buy. You must be ready and able to do that. And I think we have some very, very good customers doing exactly that, being very aggressive, understanding what they need to do after an acquisition. Yeah, Another way of explaining that is to say that the value of an
1: ex- acquisition is not what you see from the future cash flow from these uh, mills, from these plans that you intend to acquire It's your system today when it is at at its best, the best you can do with that system, with that footprint, maximizing the cash flow from the way it's being run today, compared to the new footprint with also the acquired sites that you bring into that optimized with the maximized uh,
0: opportunities and so on, all the opportunities that you have. And not only the traditional synergies, not only what can we do to fix costs, what can we do to our marketing budgets and things like that. Central overhead. What can you do to your sites? What happens to your asset footprint fundamentally?
1: Yeah, of course. And that sounds like an incredible hurdle to get to that answer. But if you have a process already installed, institutionalized in your company, then you are ready to do that right away. And uh, you can do it beforehand. Of course. With you some do it good
0: in- engineering understanding, you can of do course. these alternatives before you even started discussions. Yeah. You should have everything set up in your
1: company when somebody comes up with the idea, let's acquire these three mills. Yes. Everything should just be there and then you add these three meals and you look at that and so on. And it
0: goes the other way around also. So, since there are acquisitions, there are also divestments, right? You yep. can do the same thing for divestments. Yeah, You should do the same thing for divestments. We have over the last uh, five years or so developed a tool we call Wiser. That tool is there to help out the companies throughout the entire capital allocation process from capital allocation strategies. And that capital allocation strategies are long term, we're talking decades. Then we get to the capital budgeting. It's over the next one, two, three years, and even down to the individual capex requests, from a need to the analytical route to the decision and to the follow-up.
1: Yeah, and that is a system that is is integrated, and it has been implemented by a number of companies, both in North America and in Europe. And we believe that to add a strategic layer to the decision process is vital for the success of a company yeah. and, and it's something that companies in the future simply
0: won't be able to do no, without no no that, that's where we come from right we come from thoroughly understanding capital allocation from theoretical and practical p- point of view and we have added the more process-like parts to the capital allocation, also handling the individual capexes, uh, the, the routing of individual capexes. And I think we are at the point where things are changing for many companies. Up until now, most companies, not all, but most companies have handled their investment process and much of their budgeting process when it comes to capital allocation through Excel sheets, SharePoint. uh, emails, SharePoints, self built systems. And I feel strongly that that is changing now. I don't know if that's the right way. They're professionalizing the CapEx process and they are digitalizing it and they're going to tools that are purpose-built to do this, preferably also by people that know something about capital allocation. Exactly. And, And they are for managing
1: the decisions and the budgeting and so on. We know that there are good systems out there, but our system is the only system that adds that crucial strategic level I mean when we sit here and talk it it all sounds so negative you know when we say oh companies do this it's disastrous they look at that you know it's going to go bad if they look at profitability return on capital employed EVA i mean no matter what you do to eva it's going it's going to be showing you what you're not supposed to look at it's dr doom over everything we do that's Uh, our middle name that's our middle name but one thing that is so important and that is what we try always to to point out is that before we talk about how to solve things companies they they have to understand what isn't working and and they have to agree on that because only when a company can sort of at least the majority of the people who are involved can can understand, okay, we have issues with this. These are the reasons we cannot look into division. De, sorry, decisions in isolations. We can't look at paybacks, net present values of these products in, in isolation and so on. And all of that that we explain in in our text, the tail wags the dog. Un- unless they all agree on that, they will never be able to improve the business and and get to the answer, okay, so what should we now do
0: instead? And I think we're coming back to the understanding that nothing is a going concern. Going concern is fake. In
1: almost all companies on earth, the following has not been questioned. Do we even have the right framework? Do we have the right philosophy? And they don't don't even
0: utilize the technology, I would say, that is available. The tools and technology, that is available.
1: From one thing to another, yes. uh, EBITDA margins. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we, we see them as highly relevant. It doesn't.
0: Uh, I like uh, a high EBITDA margin.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> everything else held equal, <laughs> uh-huh. higher is better than lower, which is not the case with, with return on capital employed. Absolutely. No, not, no, so. no. Higher can be very bad, while lower is a lot better. But, but you know, we'll we'll probably talk about that some other time. But one thing that company, companies have to realize is that EBITDA margins—they are always going somewhere. And where is that? It's south. It's south. They will always go down. You c- you can work in a mill for 20 years without seeing it because it's so volatile. The margins, they go like that. But if you were to look at a trend, it would look like that. And that is, again, you know, we say, say this so often about so many thinks That is by definition. That is how it is. Yeah. You can't improve your business by, by doing that. But that. So the margins, they
0: go, go down. They go down. Maybe it is... The question of my education being now soon twenty years old, but I claim that is one thing that is not being taught or understood. Yeah, I know. It's not. No. That the margins of a production unit is continuously going down unless something changes. Mm. Right? And that it is the it is the task of the management to handle that continuous decline through finding ways of updating and improving their footprint so that they can handle that money going down. And why does it go down? Because of competition, because of technology development
1: implemented by others. And I will stress the
0: last one. Yeah, of course.
1: course. And that is is, uh, sort of uh, what's going on. That competition implements technology improvements enabling prices to go down because the costs will go down for the competition, while if you sit there and do nothing, you will experience the prices going down slowly, but your costs, they are still what they were yeah. yesterday. And that is uh, that is what creates
0: it, it. And this is, of course, not bad, right? No, this I'm is what great we for strive for oh, in yeah, society yeah. because yeah. this, our TVs, those margins cheaper and going cheaper. down for the same type of production facility, doing the same thing, that is growth. Nothing else is B- as growth. Because that means that someone else is doing the same thing with lower input cuts.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that companies <coughs> are, if, if keeping up the EBITDA margin in a mill was the objective of a business. Which then is I not. Think, which is not. Then I think that that mills, are usually doing a relatively good job because they spend a lot of capexes on f- cutting costs on on. Uh, and they're necking. relatively yeah.
0: good at calculating it. I would say they know what happens if they imp- if they put in a new. Oh yeah, they know new, oh, uh, yeah. some, some f- new control whatever. system, and they can take exactly. out three, three, three. FTEs, that's what happens.
1: Exactly. So, so I mean, we often come back to this. We do not believe that the industry has a major data issue. That is not why no. things go wrong. No. Okay, so mills are good at keeping up the margin, you know, but what happens is that they spend it in a not so good way, those decisions, those capexes. While they're good at keeping up the margin, you uh, spending capexes on cutting costs and so on, what happens is that they don't spend it in a wise way, so the cash flow is down. Yes. So they, while they keep up, keep up the margins, the value of the business is down. And, uh, and this happens on individual mills. And, and if you look at a network of mills, that, is, that effect is and, even worse. And
0: generalizing a lot, of course, is that to keep the margin of an existing mill over time, that is losing its fundamental competitiveness. You have to spend so much capex that you lose out in cash flow compared to the margin that you keep instead of continuously working on your footprint to get the better and better footprint. To go from what you talked about before, the 120 pulp mills in Sweden to the 30 something now. With a few exceptions, a mill can never
1: maintain its competitiveness over time against the industry average, a mill can never do that. No, potentially a site, potentially a site, but
0: not an individual mill.
1: Yes, and trying to do so, trying for a company, for a mill to actually sort of maintain the gap or or keep up with the industry development will make the
0: bottom line, the cash flow suffer tremendously technologies become obsolete quicker now than what they used to do and i believe that the companies or the industries that we work with are in a they are experiencing a rate of technology change that is so big that it matters but not so big that everybody understands it do you see what i mean that that there are, there are some, so many other things that goes on in demand changes, price changes, uh, external competition, conversions, etc. So that don't understand the underlying technological pressure that is being put on their footprint. So that they still believe that they can be around forever. While I believe if you are within the software industry you will never believe that your software will be around unchanged forever. I mean, mm. that would be crazy. It's, it's obvious, mm. but it is not that obvious for a s- steel mill or a paper mill or a, a chemical plant. I think a lot of people working with us, of course, we, we we know, we believe, they like working with us. But they also think that we are a little bit boring sometimes.
1: Yeah,
0: We hold them back. We hold them back because another thing they need to understand, I think, is that... On average, and I know a lot of people listening to this now probably will not agree and don't quite understand what I mean. But on average, 100% of the value of their business is managing what they have. I will repeat that. 100% of the value is dependent on managing what they have. And that is on average. On average, exactly. So, so you have clearly some companies with
1: growth opportunities that will be valuable to the shareholders. And the the other side of the coin is that there, well, to make up the average, there will be some that will try to grow, that will ruin value when doing so. And this uh, is by definition. It, it is uh, that is by definition. It yeah. cannot be in any no. other way. However, it's actually even worse because some companies then will be able to create value, but they create so much value that you need like five companies. To make up the average, that ruin ruin value yeah. to make to cover up for the, the good value that's, the that's created. The average value
0: creation on the stock market is zero. Yes, by definition. And that includes the value creation of Amazon and exactly. Google and Apple. And they bring and up the you average And name it tremendously. over the last oh, yeah. decades. Yes. But it also includes the value destruction of a number of other industries. Mm. Also, we, we know this, that the older sites, the older plants, the older mills, to get them up to a, an EBTA level, to get them to a competitive state again, from a cost point of view, the capex needed for that can be enormous. For a pulp mill, for a paper mill, we are usually talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm. For those nitpickers out there, I just want to clarify, when we say that the expected value of decisions by definition is zero, we mean the expected value of decisions, right? We're talking about the expected value of future decisions. By definition, that is zero. Historically, and when you look at things in hindsight, it can be both positive and negative. Exactly. That is how that is being defined. That is how it's defined.
1: Companies are reluctant when it comes to shutting down locations for, for many reasons. They might feel that they lose a piece of their market share. They might feel that they lose some capabilities that they have in that location and not not, not elsewhere. They, they will lose customers. They, they don't see that as a natural progression towards... Uh, having a better company being more competitive they see it as they actually lose something. And for
0: me that that is again all about they evaluate one decision at a time, right? Yes, of course. Because they look at the closure as something losing capacity, lo- losing capabilities and they don't Necessarily evaluate that at the same time as adding capabilities or capacity elsewhere, yeah. and potentially losing a small part of their business.
1: And it's it's exactly what you say. I mean, they don't put together a holistic uh, view of their business where they improve a lot in one part and take down something else. I mean, like like the old expression, uh, "created destruction." I, I you, love you, that one. Yeah, you love that <laughs> one. Yeah, uh, where where you create something somewhere in an industry, you can't. Really do that unless in a significant way unless you take down somewhere else because we're not talking Google here We're talking the industry Uh, It's going to grow by one two percent if you exclude acquisitions, maybe three uh, If if they're really doing well from a growth point of view, so if they grow somewhere They often need to go down either because the market uh, works that way or they need to do that for for raw material purpose
0: Today's topic on shutting down mills is central to what we do because a lot of a lot of the different misunderstandings regarding capital allocation and capexes becomes concentrated to the d- decisions of shutting down a mill or a machine. There are so many misconceptions of what a good mill is and how you can follow that. Yes, I think that there are two topics, two two problems that are combined. The first thing is, it is actually not possible to say if one mill is profitable or not by looking at how it performs individually. The only way to understand the performance of a mill is actually to analytically close it down and see how the rest of the system performs compared to having it open. Exactly. I mean, the the performance of a mill is not
1: actually how it performs when it's being run, but by how the rest of the system
0: performs when it's not being run. So that's part of the problem. And the other problem is measures such as return on capital employed. I have in particular one site uh, that I think about that was closed. And it was a site that for a very long period, they've outperformed the target of the company when it comes to return on capital employed. And then a closure was recommended and the closure was also performed. And the unions and the workers were stunned because they did not understand we had
1: delivered what was expected yes since they were measured the way they were they that was true the mill still didn't provide any value to the company yeah because these measures like return on cap employed eva and so on they will be at their best when the mill's competitiveness is basically gone yes because the book value is down um, EBITDA margin is down, but still in relation to the decline of the book value, it will provide with a fantastic book return, yes.
0: return on capital employed or EVA or anything else like yeah, that. Yeah. And with the industrial companies that we work with, what do they think about volumes? Do they like more or less generally? More? They want to have more and more. They try to protect volumes the best they can. And so very often when they try to, on a technical level, optimize the system, They still try to capture all the volumes that they can. They Keep the volumes. They keep the volumes and they optimize the costs of producing those volumes. Mm. And what then very often happens is that the poor mills get the best performing products because they have to get them in order to keep running. And the best mills, they get the worst raw material cost and the worst Products. products because they are the only ones that can produce them with a positive contribution. Yeah. The effect of this is not seen in book profitability or in 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 book EBTA. The only way you can see it is to remove it analytically. Yes. Remove a machine, remove a site.
1: You can never have extraordinary feelings about locations like like you do for your kids. I mean, if you have a child that has challenges that you need to you need to spend a lot of time with that child and you need to spend all your resources on that child and maybe, a lot less on the child that has everything going for him or her you know so you have a, you have a child that needs your support a lot then you need to give that to them but you have a, if you have a mill a plant that is not doing well at all you can't give 70 percent of your resources into that mill because that, that that's going to drain your company the challenged child gets more support the challenged mill gets closed exactly that is and you do you do not do that to kids but you do that in, in, in business. Yeah. And that is uh, something that companies have to become really good at. To understand, we're talking business. Yeah. Well, of course, we're talking about a lot of people involved in those businesses and that there might be individual consequences. And, you know, sometimes it's tragedy, of course, if you, if these people work in a remote area and so on. But from a business point of view, you need to take care of that in the best way possible But you cannot avoid or procrastinate. Unfortunately,
0: uh, when I look at the real world, it's not the way it works in neither direction, I would say, both Mm. with children. But let's leave that for now. But Mm. also when it comes to (coughs) mills or machines, it's so obvious to me that the challenged mill, the challenged machine gets so much more attention from the managers, from the top brass of the company. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately also too often, way too often, and we're not talking small money, they get way too much money up yes. until the closure.
1: Yeah, we've had, what is it, six, seven, seven hundred 700 mills uh, plants in our products just over the last 15 years. And we have seen, we can see clearly that approximately 30% of the most important resources that a company has goes into that one mill.
0: And that what, is what, what type of resource is that? Is that what do we call management attention? Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: Experts, uh, management, uh, uh, operational lead and all of that. They, they, they spend 30% on that mill. That is worth nothing. Yeah. And, and uh, that is affecting the company a lot more than they, they, than they understand. Because they don't see that they need to take a more dramatic decision. Like shutting down the location. Because when a mill is 5 minutes to 12. The mill can st- still be, from a financial P&L point of view, the mill can still be really profitable. You can have a return on capital yeah, and, of like 15, 20%. Be
0: careful with profitability, right?
1: Yeah, of course, yeah, because we're talking about, we're talking about book profitability. Yeah. So the book profitability can be, you know, at least moderately, it could be good. Can have like a return on capital of 15, positive EVA and so on and so on. But why does that happen? Well, the, the books have been written off. And the EBITDA margin is not a disaster yet. It's just poor. But when you take one divided by the other, it's going to end up in a, in a good number. Uh, but that's just the
0: books. But also, we, we know this, that the older sites, the older plants, the older mills, to get them up to a an EBTA level, to get them to a competitive state again from a cost point of view, the capex needed for that can be enormous for a pulp mill for a paper mill, we're usually talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. Many of the companies that we work with, they work within quite a large chunk of the value chain, from forest owning to pulp mills, to paper and board production, to converting, from mines to steel mills, to converting, etc. It is not unusual that we find that most of the value in these companies, most of the value creation, especially the value, is upstreams it's close to the source of the raw material
1: exactly but sometimes it isn't uh, illustrated in that way in the financial reporting in the company in those cases they they may not be using market prices in each layer which is so important to understand where a company actually is competitive where a company is actually making its money and so on
0: oh yes i come to think on a number of examples but i will of course not mention them but If you do not use market prices between your raw material supply, if it's in your own hands, and the next steps of your value chain, you risk misallocating capital tremendously. Oh, yeah. And we've seen that also happen a number of times, where capexes, we're talking in some cases, not only millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars even billions of dollars over decades that has been motivated by receiving raw materials at cost
1: yeah for free for almost for free yeah. so somebody might think well does that really matter i mean we're one company and so on and so on. yeah it, it matters enormously because if you have misunderstood where you are creating your value where you are competitive you will be allocating capital in the wrong way. You won't be able to, for instance, understand in which layer should we be long or short? Where should we be improving to to catch up with the competitors?
0: And most importantly, where should you... I think that's what you're saying. Where should we continue to invest? Yeah. And where do we have a need to maybe withdraw or think about in the long run to get out of?
1: It? Yeah, this is the difference between succeeding and not succeeding with
0: an integrated company. To understand this? Very much so. I think that we had another pod that we were talked about technology change. It's not unusual that companies that we've been working with, their origin is from something very much upstream, close mm. to the raw material source they started out as a forest owner or a pulp producer or something like that. And then over time, the companies see that there is value to be captured if they refine their raw material even further. They do pulp, then they do paper, and then they want to do some different converting. But what is rarely understood, I think, is that every time you take a step up the value chain, you usually also take a step up the technology chain. And when you take a step up the technology chain, there's usually a faster rate of change. And that means you need to become a company that can act on decisions faster and faster and faster.
1: Yeah, yeah. And if you have a culture in your company, which is a forestry culture, yeah. where your uh, product takes 70 years to be completed, and you're instead in a business after a while where the product cycle, is, we're talking months, then it's not uh, easy To be an integrated company where the culture goes from seventy years to two months, and to be agile uh, enough to actually how often do you need to make
0: strategic decisions if you only own forests?
1: Depends on how large this forest is, but for one piece of land, it's every seventy years or every five years
0: if it's in Brazil, you know. But but still, we are talking years. How often do you need to make strategic decisions if you're a game developer? We're talking each quarter, I think. And of course, uh, there's a big range in between there, but that's what happens. As you move up the technology chain, you need to become a faster and faster and more agile company. I think we can summarize what we do very shortly. We help companies allocate their capital in a way that maximizes future cash flow.
1: And that is very true. Unfortunately, companies would say, but we already do that. And the thing is that, yeah, they think they do, but their process that they have for accomplishing that allocating capital as we explain in the text, the tail wags a dog is simply not working. We're not talking about small marginal room for improvements, but there is an enormous dysfunctionality in in all of that. When we speak about maximizing our clients' cash flow, we're talking about very large difference compared to how they would be doing it
0: without us. We help them with the capital allocation process in order to maximize the long-term value of future cash flow. And the way we start out doing that is by convincing them, teaching them about the pitfalls of the current way of allocating capital. If you liked what you heard us talk about today and want to hear more about similar topics, don't forget to click subscribe or follow below. And if you liked what you heard today, press like.